Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. This last week, well, I guess over the last few weeks, we've been uh, doing a, a series that, that we've been calling Rediscovering. And so the re is for people who are already Christians, they're already believers, but um, in like Revelation 2, where, where Jesus says to John, he says, um, you know, about the church in Ephesus, he said, you're doing all these amazing things you're, you're doing incredible things, and we're, I'm, I'm, just, I'm so blessed by it. However, you've lost your first love. And so there's this, this kind of this bringing back, this reminder of, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm doing things, I'm going through the motions of, of life, but what about your first love? And so we did rediscovering the cross for one week. We did rediscovering purpose. And then we started the rediscovering the essentials. And this sermon has grown. And so last week it was the first part. And this week we are rediscovering um, the essentials. So if you had your bulletin there, you'll see that the first question, which we addressed last week, is why is the gospel of Jesus, or what is the gospel of Jesus Christ anyway? So really breaking down the gospel, because if we as believers, if we as Life Assembly Church cannot articulate what the gospel is in a simple manner, we're, we're having trouble, right? And so it's really good that for some that go, oh yeah, that's right, or but for us to be able to explain, to be able to talk to people, that we could actually simplify the gospel to be able to talk to a child about it, and yet be able to have conversations with people who are older and maybe have a little bit more complex questions. And something that's really interesting, and I've heard from last week, is taking the pressure off a little bit when it comes to sharing the gospel because there's so many people that carry this burden of they don't share or maybe share their testimony because they feel like if they screw up or if they say it wrong, then, then they're just messing up. Or there, there's the, the side of going, if I don't do this and if I don't share, then I've got all the pressure on me and their salvation hinges on me and all oh, the pressure. And, and what we talked about last week is Let's remember that, that God holds the world in his hands. He is the creator of all things, okay? And so we can trust him. And you know what? You do the best that you can. You do the absolute best that you can. And maybe sometimes you'll get it wrong. And I want to just say to you, that's okay. That is so okay. God is bigger than that. And God can look at you and God can say, I am so proud of my daughter. I am so proud of my son that they were stepping out in faith and sharing about the love of Jesus. That, that is a good thing. So I want to tell you, mess it up. Mess it up. Okay, because I would rather that you are going forth sharing the love of Jesus through your story and, and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, as simple as it's supposed to be. We're going to make it a little complex today, but that's okay. And, but to keep it and, and to share the best that you can. And if you mess up, you know what? I'll celebrate with you. You should tell me how bad you messed up because I've messed up. I, I've walked away going, yeah, that, that was a mess. You know, and that's okay. That's okay. So what we talked about last week, the main scripture was Acts 17, 11. Now the Brian Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day, say every day. They were doing devotions every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. So 
um, here's what we can learn from the Bereans. And we, we, if, you wanna, if you weren't here and you want to dive into this, um, it's online already. So um, first, noble character. They had the right heart and they had the right mind of Christ. They, they were doing the best that they could, okay? Secondly, they examined the scriptures. They pushed Paul. And actually, you can really see when you follow the, the writings of Paul throughout, um, he, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and you can see where there's times that he comes back in different letters to give uh, more understanding because people were asking questions or they were like, what, what does this mean? Can you explain more of this? And he goes more in depth. And then every day, like I said, this is every day that they were diving into the word of God. They had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's be Berean Christians, Right? Let's strive to have noble character. Let's receive God's word with eagerness and with gladness. Let's study the scriptures to show ourselves approved. And let's be more than Sunday Christians, but everyday followers of Jesus Christ. All right, so last week, we, we went through this. And so this is how we, we broke down the gospel. So we said, what is the gospel, okay? And so um, I'm not doing the detailed version of this because I don't want to take a lot of time since we already did it. But the gospel in the scripture is um, the word. It's the seed. It's called doctrine. It's called the good news. It's called the truth. And the seed grows in us, and it produces God's fruit of righteousness in us, okay? And uh, so the gospel must be taught, the gospel must be heard, it must be understood, it must be believed, and it must be confessed. This is the gospel. It must be taught, heard, understood, believed, and confessed. So the gospel of Jesus Christ should be able to be explained simply. It can be presented differently. So a lot of times people would, would learn a way um, to share the gospel, which is fine. The Romans Road is probably the most popular and, and famous way. But the problem is, is when your audience changes, the Romans Road doesn't exactly work. So if you're talking with little children, different ages, you're going to really have to think, okay, how can I present this in a way that, that's understood? How do you present it to people who are, they look at the Bible as just a book? Okay, so you can quote the Bible, you can say the apostles' names, and they're going to look at you and go, well, I don't know who they are. That book to me isn't holy. So how do you share the gospel with them? How do you explain? And this is where sharing the gospel about your testimony and what God has done in you. Okay, you share, when I gave my life to Christ, this is who I was and this is who I am. That's essentially your testimony who you were and who you are and who you're becoming. And so the gospel, and when you're sharing your testimony, it should you should never, ever, ever be the hero of the story. You are not the hero. So if we talk, if you, maybe you've done that a couple times, and this is now where we say, okay, let's change, change this up a little bit. God is always the hero of the story. The gospel is because of Christ alone. Okay, he is the hero. Romans 5.10 says, we have been reconciled and saved through his life. Reconciled and saved through his life, not because of your life. So that's how we ended last week. We, we said, what is your role? What is your role? How, how can we be ones of bearers of Christ? 
So second question on your bulletin, how do I know if I am even saved? So I believe this question is, is important, um, especially for those who um, maybe they're new in their faith and they're really trying to figure things out. People need to know that they're okay. Like, am I, am I doing this thing right? This, this Jesus thing, how, how am I doing? You know, there's not really like a grade A, grade B, here's a star for good effort. You know, there, there's not, you know, we don't really have that. And so I know this is something that in, in the past and as, as I was growing up and in the church and trying to understand, I really struggled with this. Like, am I doing this right? I remember saying to somebody, how do I know? How do I know if, if, if I'm like gonna make the cut? And they said, well, the fact that you're asking these questions is a pretty good indicator. And I went, Oh, good. You know, and so like, I'm, I'm like sweating it. Like I'm constantly, oh man, am I, am, am I not? And, and where, where is that line? And so this is where, where I said it's gonna, we're going to get a little bit, a um, little, the gospel is simple, but sometimes um, working through some of it can get kind of complex. So I'm going to do the best that I can to, to simplify a few things. And uh, hopefully, hopefully I just pray that um, the Lord helps me, and, and you can understand some of the things that I'm trying to um, explain this morning. So things do get awfully um, complex when, uh, when we're looking at our past. And so a lot of times, this is where we have trouble reconciling, is that people look at their past, and they look at things that they've done. They look at people that they've hurt, and they, they think, I don't think I could ever be saved. I don't, I don't think, have anyone ever heard people say something like that? Like, I, I've sinned too much, I've sinned too bad, there's no way that there could be a place for me. And I, interestingly enough, I have a, uh, a neighbor that I was discussing, he found out I was a pastor, and sometimes, as a pastor, it's sometimes easier to just not say what you do. Um, but, you know, so I ended up just receiving just a lot of hurt and things that they had experienced. And one of the things that was said to me, and I found it just fascinating, was um, I don't want to be in heaven with somebody who's done horrific things and then they were forgiven from them. Yeah, wow. I don't want to share, I don't want to be for somebody who's done horrendous things and now all of a sudden they can be saved. I, that doesn't sound like justice to me. And so I mean, this, this is a... a very, very important topic. How do I know if I'm saved, or how do we know? So here, here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us a couple things about our sins. One is, when our sins are forgiven, it goes more than forgiveness. Because you and I, we've, we've all forgiven people, right? We've, we've forgiven, but we still remember. We still remember. In the Scripture, this is where it becomes kind of difficult to understand, especially for our human minds, is that he forgets. God actually forgets. So when you start coming to him and saying, oh God, forgive me for this sin, and it might be a, a, a big sin, right? Well, if you've already given it to God, he's already forgiven you. And so this is what the scripture says. It says that your sins are as far as the east, might East, here, am I right? It's, okay, east from the west. I just need to look at my location here. Okay, that means they will never meet. Your sins will never meet again. Okay, and then there's another verse that says that they are thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Wow, I wish I could do that. 
not until we are in, in the arms of Christ. But man, th- this is something that we have to deal with for the rest of our lives is, yes, we can forgive people, but it doesn't mean that we forget things that have happened to us. And so this is where it gets really difficult for people because they've tried to give things to the Lord and they feel like they've given it to him and, and they're just plagued with this. How could God ever forgive me? Well, he's looking going, what are you talking about? I don't even know what sin you're talking about. You're, you're thinking differently than me. So God is, is like going, what? Well, he's confused. And so what happens is the enemy of our souls He uses that against us. And so it is so important that you and I are able to identify and say, Lord, this is not from you. I am feeling guilt and shame, and that is from the enemy of my soul. And I rebuke him in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And you know what? The Lord will come. He will come. And so this is one of the reasons why this question is so difficult. Now, in in the Bible... um, there are 39 times in the New Testament where the word justification is used. 29 of those times is from the Apostle Paul. So clearly Paul sees it as a very valuable word. So to justify means to be declared righteous, to be not guilty, to be acquitted, to have legal immunity, remitting sins. Or um, one, one term I liked was once justly under wrath. So you were justly under wrath, but no longer. So we attempt in our lives, we attempt to justify our actions, right? We try to acquit ourselves. We try to make good of our bad choices or questionable choices. Um, we try to make ourselves right. How many of you have, okay, don't raise your hands. You know, you, maybe you're married in this place and you both are like, no, I am right. And I'm going to explain why I'm right. And who loses every time? The man. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. You guys are great. Okay. So we, we attempt to justify our own actions. So last night was a perfect example. It was 930, a really great time to make a bad decision. We should go to Culver's and have ice cream. I agree. I agree. I agree. We've had a great day. We've looked how much we've got done. We deserve Culver's. Let, and we justify it. This is a good decision. It's 10.05 and we're shutting down Culver's. This was a bad decision, right? Especially those who don't like what the feelings of all that dairy, right? And so we, we, we justify it. We all know we do this probably every day of our lives. Now, I think that one of the best um, examples that I could think of, and, and some of you are going to remember this, it was 2013, and there was a 16-year-old boy that um, he, they went, him and some friends, they stole booze from a Walmart, and they went home, they got drunk, and then they got in mom and dad's car. It was like a F-350, so a monster, monster truck, and drove through and hit, somebody was pulled on the side of the road, there was a youth pastor and people, there were good Samaritans trying to help, killed four people. It was, it was just terrible. And this kid got off free, except for 10 years probation, um, so no jail time or anything, because he, what, what they said was that he had affluenza or affluenza that he was raised in such wealth and that he never knew what the consequences of bad behavior was because his parents were bad parents and they never corrected him, 
that he actually didn't know any better, and they were able to justify his terrible actions and behavior based on affluenza. And they actually, they had a psychologist that talked about this, and this is why. And I mean, I mean, the United States was freaking out about this, that the judge was this lenient. And then it's no surprise that two years after he was caught drinking and then he actually had to go to jail, his mom tried to flee the, the country. I mean, crazy story. But that, I mean, that is justification. We can try and justify our behaviors and make ourselves feel good. Because who wants to go to bed feeling bad about themselves, right? So J.I. Packer, who's an Anglican writer, who's, man, he's got to be almost in his 90s. He's just this terrific theologian. Um, he, he says, uh, he, he uses Romans 8.30, and he says, uh, those who uh, God justified, he also glorified. So those whom God acquitted, okay, those who God made right, he glorified them. So here's the quote from J.I. Packer. Note that, he says, note that Paul puts glorified in the past tense. What God has resolved to do is as good as done. So does that make sense? So what J.I. Packer points out is that once we are justified, once we are made right before God, our glorification, in other words, our standing with God, is equal to or considered a past action. It's, a, it's, it's done. So, so for us that are, are wrestling with this, how do I know that I'm saved? This is like, J.I. Packer would go, what are you arguing with? What, what, what are you plagued with right now? It was already done. It, it's, it's a past action. And so he, he goes on to say, uh, when talking about, or he says, many, including the Church of Rome, has always maintained that God's act of justifying is primarily, if not wholly, one making righteous by inner spiritual renewal. And he says, but there is no biblical or linguistic ground for this view, though it goes back to at least as far as Augustine. So here, he is explaining where churches and people have gone wrong with justification. Many look at justification or the act of being righteous before God as being made true by God or being made true by good behavior or good do deeds or, like he said, inner spiritual renewal. And this is the way that people think they are keeping their salvation intact is by their inner spiritual actions. So I have to do these good things and, and by doing these good things that, and, and I, I feed enough um, homeless people, if I give enough to the poor, if I do these good things, then I am uh, maintaining my justification. Does that make sense? Now, I, I, don't, I don't think that uh, we purposely do this, but we do this. And, and a lot of times by the things that we say, by, by the way that we, we do things out of spiritual obligation instead of uh, what, what James says is we do it because we're so grateful for what he's done for us. It should just pour out of us. Now, that doesn't mean that, I mean, listen, I've, I've served and I have been miserable doing it. There's times I'm like, oh, Lord, I have a terrible attitude about this right now. Can you help me? Can you help my attitude right now? 
The Bible teaches justification happens as soon as you accept Jesus as Christ and Lord of your life. Your justification is immediate based on the past, but it's a continued sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on the cross was past, present, and future. So Romans 10, 9, and 10. This is where, where we're basing this off of, and it's in other places as well. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now this is when Christians, including my mother, because I've had a lot of conversations with my mother about this, so I'm getting good at it, Christians get a little tense, okay? And I, and I hope that I can maybe release some of that tension here. So I'm going to use Paul's argument when dealing with this, okay? What then, he says in uh, Romans 6, 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Then Paul goes on to say, don't you know that you are a slave to whatever you obey? So we are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to Christ. In other words, you are a slave to something. What is it? You are going to be ruled by something. What is it? So Hebrews 10.26 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no sacrifice for sin is left. Justification. So Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. So death covered our sins. Okay? The, the crucifixion of Christ covered our sins. But he was raised to life for our justification. He was raised for your acquittal. Your sins were covered. They were nailed to the cross. The resurrection power of Christ brought our acquittal. You can say amen to that. This is good, good news, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and has been raised from the dead, you, my friends, are saved. And now comes this however there is a caveat. Again, I told you there's a little complexity here, so just bear with me. And this caveat is highly contested by Christians for hundreds of years. Okay? For hundreds of years. Oh, Lord, be with me here. I'm going to tick somebody off. So, those who are Calvinists, so meaning who follow the Christian philosophy of John Calvin, okay? If you have no idea what you're talking with, talk, or here and know what I'm talking about or saying, just... Try and follow along. So a Christian, they would say a Christian cannot lose salvation. Nobody can turn their back on an all-powerful God. Therefore, if somebody turns their back on Christ, they were just never saved to begin with. Okay, so they don't believe, as a Calvinist, a, 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 somebody would be considered like a, like a, a five-prong uh, Calvin, Calvinist, they would say, yeah, you can't, you were never saved to begin with. You, you were considered a Matthew 13, you were a seed that went on the path, and it, it sprung up, but it never bared fruit, and never had a good foundation, so you just were never saved. 
okay? And so that's the way that, that they would look at somebody who turned their back on Christ. Now, for those who would be considered Arminian, and usually people that, that are part of the Assemblies of God or, or more charismatic Pentecostal churches, um, they follow kind of the thinking, the Christian philosophies of, of Jacob Ar Arminius, which would say, of course you can lose your salvation, and it's that if I keep on sinning and turn my back on God, of course. So essentially, both camps are saying similar things. One just sounds much more exclusionary and arrogant. So one may say, you, will, you were never a child of God, but you tried. Here's an A for effort. Um, and then the other would say, you decided to walk away from God. Therefore, you have stepped away from, the, from being adopted into the family of God. So you have stepped away from Christ, not the other way around. You have stepped away from Christ. God has not stepped away from you. Okay, so these are kind of two rules of thinking. And I, I think personally, and again, this, this is something that I have been studying for, reading about for years, been debating with people and friends and colleagues on, on different sides of, of the aisle on this, really trying to work this out. But I think the biggest question is, um, but an impossible question really for us to answer is, at what point does somebody lose salvation? I think that's actually the, the bigger question. And, and obviously, not being the judge uh, of, of people, how, as a pastor, how could I be the one of saying, okay, yep, there it is, lost salvation, right? I, I can't do that. You can't do that. But if your mindset is, well, how much sin can I do and still be a Christian, there's a heart problem there. And I'll be honest, I, I've been there. I've been there. I, I've, I'm just being honest with you. And maybe somebody can relate with this. I was thinking, okay, well, what, what can, I, can I still do this and this and still be saved? And I'll never forget the words of my mom when she said to me, well, why on earth would you want to walk as close to that boundary? Why would you even want to push it? And at that point is when I knew I had a heart issue and I didn't want to admit that my mom was right. So I didn't give her the satisfaction of knowing she was right at that moment. <laughs> But she was right. So I want to ask you a question. When does sin begin? Like, when, when, when can we actually say, okay, now, now it's a sin? So look, think of it this way. So you're driving down Bass Lake Road, and you're coming to uh, West Fish Lake, and you're, you're, you're going, you know, you're, you're cruising, and you see the yellow light, and you're still maybe a quarter mile away, and you see the red light, and you're like, I'm going for it. I don't care. I'm going for it. So you even go faster. And then right at the last, last, last second, you uh, stop. But man, you wanted to, didn't you? You did, not me. You, you did. And, and so my question for you is, when did sin occur? Or did it occur? See, the, the Old Testament law, if there was... Um, a rabbi in front of you would say, well, you did not sin because you stopped and you did not break the law. Therefore, you're not going to get stoned. You're not going to be punished according to the Mosaic law. Now, the New Testament, Jesus messed up the whole system. Thank you, Lord. He said, no, 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 no. You commit murder when there's hatred in your heart. He said, the moment that you look lustfully upon a woman, 
you have committed adultery already. And his, his disciples said, well, who could be saved? And that's where we find out that we all need Jesus. So going back to this illustration, when did sin occur or did it at all? And the answer to that was, or is, I believe, is if we follow Jesus' teaching, it is, it was already in our hearts. The sin was already there. Maybe we didn't act physically on it in that moment, but it was definitely there. Friends, none of us can walk in these doors or out of these doors thinking that we are righteous in our own. Okay? We are fallen people, and we desperately need Christ. You have been justified. You have been acquitted by Christ. So honestly, I don't care what your view is when it comes to Calvinism and Arminianism. But both of them are human philosophies trying to explain the way that God works. Ultimately, when we pursue Jesus, our minds and hearts should begin to align with the heart and mind of Christ. It is rarely immediate for people that all sins and things that we struggle with just stop. I mean, sometimes there's just amazing miracles that that happens with people. And I'm like, Lord, why couldn't that have happened to me? Why did it take me so long to get rid of this and to get rid of this? We truly have to put our lives at the feet of Jesus and rely on him to help us mixed with or along with our own strength. Okay? So if you're one of those that's just like, well, I've been sitting and waiting for God to do it, and my question is, well, what have you been doing? Get up. Start moving. God's going to be working with you. Now, do I believe, does Dale DeMel believe that you can lose your salvation? And my answer is absolutely. Absolutely. I, I read what it said in Hebrews, that once we get to the point of continuing, continuing, continuing to sin, it says that there is nothing left. And there gets to be a point in our hearts and our lives where we get so hardened and so hard that the Holy Spirit can't even speak to us anymore. And if, if that's one of us, if that's people that we know, we need to say, Lord, break my heart. Break so-and-so's heart, Lord Jesus. Make their heart of stone like clay, Lord. You know, I, I can turn my back on my family. I can turn my back on those that I love just as I can turn my back on God. There's this fascinating verse. Um, it's kind of hard to grasp sometimes. It's Romans 11.32. We have been consigned to disobedience so God can have mercy on us. We have been handed over to, to disobedience so God can have mercy on us all. There are times that God realizes that some have to experience the pain of what happens when we are on our own because God knows that's what's going to draw us to him. And that is where he actually is having mercy on us by allowing us to go our own way.
So I hope that makes sense. How do I know if I am saved? If you've confessed, if you've spoken who Christ is, what he means to you, if you've declared him Lord of your life, you are saved. But you know, when I was, when I was in high school and small town, and I, I remember you know, my, my family and my, my aunts and uncles, and I had all these Christian people, and I remember I was called these names, and, and I, I remember being so angry. I didn't even know what they meant. And it had to do with being the Bible, and, you know, and I just remember getting so angry and going, I don't have to be like the rest of my family. And I remember thinking, I'm going to be my own person. Anyone ever thought that before? I'm going to be my own. And so I remember in biology class, I set in my heart that I was no longer a Christian. I decided, I'm done. That's it. No longer a Christian. I consciously made the decision to walk away from Christ. Now, is God bigger than that? Was God bigger than my doubts and a mind of a high school kid? Probably. <laughs> Probably. But I made choices. For the next two years in high school, and I remember this verse, Romans 11.32, been consigned over, been handed over to disobedience so God could have mercy on us. I remember thinking to myself, I was at this party, there were all these people around, and I was definitely one of the younger ones, and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, this is it? This is what I've given up my relationship with Jesus for? And I felt like I was sold a bill of goods. This was garbage. I thought this was going to be the most amazing thing. I thought that I was, was giving up a relationship with Jesus Christ because, man, I was missing out. And I remember in those moments, sitting at a place I shouldn't have been while my mom is at home interceding for her son, And God answering her prayers. As I'm sitting miserable going, are you kidding me? Now I'm angry at all these people for selling me something that was an absolute lie. And I made a decision to start following Christ again. In Romans 8, we're told that there's no depth nor height where the love of God cannot reach. So let me tell you, if you are turning your back on, on God, if you are trying to go away from him, let me just say something. You better be ready because he's going to be going after you. And sometimes it's going to be miserable because he's going to bring people out, like people in our church, who's going to say, you know that Jesus loves you? Because he is going to come after you. The last question, which apparently we need to have another sermon on, what is the church and how do I fit in it? So 
briefly, there's two things, and we get to act on this today, and I'm really... I'm happy that our church gets to respond in the way that what is the church and how do we fit in here. There's two things that happen when we look at this scripture when it talks about the church. One is, in a couple different places, we see where we are called the temple. We ourselves are God's temple. That we are our bodies. When it comes to sexual immorality, Paul, Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and don't you understand that corrupts you? Don't you understand that what you're doing, it can actually corrupt you. This is where the Spirit of God is supposed to be and supposed to, supposed to rest. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are the temple of God and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? So we, we see these scriptures where, where we see there's the, the Holy Spirit is no longer in the temple, per se. We are the temple of God. The, the Holy Spirit is alive and, and living and within us, and that's why we can walk and pray and ask the Lord for guidance and strength and, and power. This is why you and I have these abilities to be able to do that and to call on God, because he's in us and living in us, right? But then, when we read about the church, the church is corporate. We see there, there's never this moment where, where you talk about the church, and it's talking about an individual, it's always about the church, the church of a certain city. And, and the people of God, the Spirit of God in them, coming together and God working and living through them. And so we as a church, corporately, come together and we worship the Lord. And we see in Scripture that the church is supposed to take care of themselves. And there's actually this moment where the church was feeding all these people and doing all these amazing things. But they were corrected because people in their own midst were going hungry. And then, and then they formed these deacons, and we see this in Acts, where they were now to come together and they were to make sure that their body was taken care of, that the church family was taken care of. This last year, since January, our church, and because some of you dedicate funds to our benevolence fund, we have given out $3,272 this year. This has been for uh, cub cards. This has been for gas cards when people come and they're desperate, <clears throat> they need food. I've brought somebody in our community, um, I've brought them to Cub Foods, and I have filled up their, their entire cart full because of your generosity to benevolence. We've helped multiple people. I don't want to go into detail so, so nobody is um, you know, called out here. We gave into the single uh, women's ministry that we had so many people in our church go and serve at. <clears throat> we've, we've, in the last um, couple weeks, we've helped somebody be able to secure housing. There was a single mother with a daughter that she had no place to go, and so we were able to go and uh, secure housing until she was able to get her next check. And I would say about 80%, 70 to 80% is for our church family. And then we have some that we're able to help in our community and do as the Lord brings people to us. Now, 
Why am I bringing this up? Number one is this is very important for us as a church. It is, this is so important for us as a church. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.